just the sheer volume of information that's come. And it's been a bit unrelenting and it hasn't been particularly cheerful no matter where you look. So I think as a professional communicator, you've got to be mindful of the pace and intensity and tone of what you're talking about, especially now. I think there is a you know a bit of a mood in the community. So um, if I'm looking at, at a campaign, for example, designing a new campaign at the moment, I would think about things that kind of lift the mood or inspire, not weigh people down with grief and worry. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, we welcome Philip Jones, who, in his own words, has made a career of not really having one. Well, at least not in a straight line. Philip is now the Director of Marketing, Fundraising and Communications for St Vincent de Paul for the Canberra and Goulburn area and has previously been a freelance consultant, social entrepreneur, facilitator and restaurateur. As a consultant and contractor for over 30 years, he has provided many innovative and tailored solutions to a wide range of government agencies and also the not-for-profit sector. And he also featured on last year's GovComs Festival. So if you'd like to Go and have a look at GovComs Institute, where all that content is. You will be able to see the content that Phil created last year. But it, in my experience, where Phil has really led the way is the person-to-person communication and understanding people, but people in groups and you know networking and understanding how to find your way around those groups. So as we head out of COVID, as we start to spend more time with each other, I thought it was appropriate that we get Phil back to really take us through the beginnings of a, of a planning and strategies that we can implement as we sort of go back to being in person and really connecting with each other. Phil is also a chair of judges for the Canberra Region Tourism Awards Plus a National Tourism Awards judge with several years' experience. And he also has a popular alter ego, the Martini Whisperer, who provides expert insights into craft spirits and the cocktail culture, especially around Australia. And he's given a TEDx Canberra talk on the cultural history of the Martini. He joins me now in the studio. Philip Jones, welcome to the GovComs podcast. David, that's some introduction. Yeah, what can we take from the cultural history of the martini when it comes to communication, if indeed anything at all? Oh, well, actually, it, as, as chance would have it, this is the anniversary, six-year anniversary of my giving that talk. Oh. It occurred to me, I looked in my calendar, and that happened six years today. Right. So it comes back very fresh and lively. One, one is a few things to unpack. One is the fact that each one's unique and never be repeated. And so by that, I mean, it's the only cocktail that's made in collaboration with the maker. You go into a bar, you might get a order of fluffy duck, you get a fluffy duck or a grasshopper. But a martini, they're going to ask you what style, what vermouth, what ratios, how dry do you want it. It's bespoke. Right. And so the reason I'm quietly obsessed about it, you have almost infinite permutations. Okay. Um, yes. So, so it's individual. It's completely individual. Right. Yes. And, and so... Uh, and you can be guided because there are thousands of gins and hundreds of moose and then you've got the mood of the bar and the ambience of the sitting and your intention is kind of key. Why are you drinking it? 
And so it could be out of desperation or it could be you want to go somewhere, metaphorically speaking, you know, communion with the spirits in the glass, lots of different ways to cut and dice it. Listening's important then by the sounds of it. If you're, if you're putting the, mm-hmm. the martini together, you've really got to interpret what people have got to say. Well, this is the, how I got my Monica, the martini whisper. You don't wake up one day, David, and there's a business plan for this sort of nonsense. <laughs> there's a LinkedIn infographic floating around somewhere. It came out a couple of years ago and they had, you know, like a, a pyramid and on the bottom of you, like, so many million teachers and so many hundred thousand engineers and so many hundred thousand computer scientists. And what, at the very, very top, not making this up, people can find it, there's one martini whisperer and that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'm very proud. Um, so, yes, you don't wake up one day. So uh, the, the, the routine was, and you alluded to my restaurant career, um, yeah. so my little routine was uh, I was in a bar in Melbourne and I was doing some consulting work for a gallery down there yes. and I was finishing up. And my, my, my then flatmate said, well, you know, where do we drink? Now, where are we going to get a martinis from? Now, you won't be around. Because I'd make one every night. They'd cook me dinner. It was a very agreeable arrangement. <laughs> Anyways, um, so we go to a great bar I knew in, in the city. So they go, you, these are reliable. They're always going to land, land them on the money, so to speak. It's, it's my idea of extreme sport. Um, you go to a strange bar and order a dry martini and see what happens. Uh, but I should really get out more. Anyway, we're having a final time at school. Now, we're leaving. And as we're leaving, um, my friend and I were accosted by a troop of actresses. I'm not making this up. And they go, you're not going anywhere, says them to me. I went, I guess. What? They go, no, it was bad. We're just celebrating some, some sort of thespian bad luck to have 12 of them in the room and no bloke or something like that. Oh, OK. That was the right. line. That so so they right. didn't know that you were the martini whisperer no, at no, this no, point no. in time. This is where it all happens. Ah. So they dragged, dragged me metaphorically in, didn't have to persuade me too much, um, <laughs> back into their private room and they said, well, ah. we don't know what to drink. They're celebrating something, clearly. And my friend goes, well, Philip knows about martinis. Oh, <laughs> so I go, okay, I think, I think for you, and I just get a look at oh, the wow. eye, and everyone got a, di- a different one. For you, I think maybe a Martin Miller's not too dry, Nonny Pratt with probably a lavender garnish. Or, or how about for you, just a classic Navy stream of Plymouth Gin. Da, da, da. And I went around the room and kind of did this kind of routine, right? <laughs> and the bar staff were amazing, just remembered, and they made the drinks on the, on the spot. And they declared me to be the martini whisperer, and that was that. Oh, very nice. So, yes, there's a, yes. And, d- and did you get it right? Oh, they all loved it. That's the yeah. thing. That's, I loved it. So <laughs> I just kind of – you can, you can extrapolate. What I usually do is try and get a read on someone's taste, what sort of wine they like to drink, things like that, and then I can personalise the, the combination around that. But building a story also, I imagine, into each of those martinis, you were looking to interpret and tell a story to get that person to engage, personalised. Yes. Personalised content almost. Exactly right. And, um, and transient. And, tra- and transient. And created an emotional connection. Yes, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. This will catch on. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of fun. So, listen, tell me, you know, uh, to me you are a real expert in that understanding of groups Mm -hmm. and and how people need to behave and act efficiently and effectively in a group. And as we come out of COVID and we start to go back to events, people probably need a bit of practice. They need to sort of feel... You know, they're, not, they're no longer in their tracky dacks, they're back at work and they're going to an event after work yes, and, yes. and they want to be effective and maybe the world's changed, maybe it hasn't changed, but I'll be interested in your views of what do people need to be thinking as they go back into those groups to be effective, not only for themselves but for the organisations that they represent and the stories that they represent. Yeah, that's, that's very true and I think there's a couple of things at play here. One, there is a pent-up demand. Okay. We're social animals and yes. even the introverts amongst us, um, you know, don't mind a bit of, a, you know, human contact and getting out. So you've got that at a social level. 
but there's that, that sort of um, willingness and desire to, to really... But you, you're quite right, we're probably really quite rusty at, at all this. Mm. Um, and so I think one of the first things to key is... Oh, and the other thing that's at play is also a sense of time and what's important. People have really had a chance to kind of rethink their values mm-hmm. uh, and rethink what's important to them. And are they really going to spend their time, quote-unquote, working a room or do whatever? I think they're going to be a lot more discriminating about how and where they invest their energy and their time. Okay, so 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 is, is sorry just to yeah. I- interrupt there. But in, are you expecting that there'll be fewer events, smaller events, more targeted events, as opposed to larger events where they might be trying to do lots of things? It'll be much more narrow cast people. A bit of, bo- a bit of both, David. Okay, a bit of both. I mean, I, I notice, I observe networking organisations or chambers or business organisations, and they seem to sell out their events very very quickly. Right. Um, so there is that pent-up demand to, I guess, if you're in a sales environment or a marketing environment, you need to be able to get out there and, and network and so on. I think what's... In, but also, if you're doing a much more narrow casting, shall we say, hmm. then the value has to be really clearly represented um, to, to make that proposition kind of stand out. Uh, I think, to me, intention is key here. And by that, I mean both an individual level and an organisational level. Um, We've all been in situations and found yourself in a room and you kind of wonder what the heck you're doing there mm. um, and why have you invested all this money in a conference or you've sent your team to a dinner or so on and so forth. Uh, and so if, if you're very clear, uh, so on an individual level, why are you there, what you want to achieve out of that experience, what an investment of time and energy, then that helps you psychologically get on the front foot. It also enables you to, and we can talk about narratives, um, have the right narratives in play so that you can make the most of the opportunity that may come your way with the people that you meet. At an organisational level, then they've got to decide, OK, well, if we're going to send people X, Y, Z uh, to, a, to an event or so on, what are we trying to do here? Is it, is it simply a bit of brand awareness and playing the game, being a good corporate citizen? You know, you tend to lunch or, or do whatever. Or do we have another agenda or objective at play and have some measurements sitting against that? Because I've lost track of how many times stories I hear people going to a conference, for example, and then meet some people and get some business cards. Remember those? Remember those back in the day? Mm. Um, I don't business cards would make a comeback or not. Yeah. Um, uh, and they have a very nice time and meet all these people and shake some hands and, and then they come back to where they're going, back to work, and nothing ever comes of it. Really any follow-up or systematic follow-up and three months down the track it's probably a bit late to dig that card out from your drawer and I thought you should have called that person. Yeah. So what I'm getting at is this activity has to be systematic um, and it has to be considered... Uh, and I guess measured against some sort of metrics. Now, we talked about, I mentioned narratives before, and this was always my, my little trick or my advice to people was that um, I, I learned this because early on in my career, um, when I was just starting as a consultant, you know, I'd go to these networking functions, that's kind of what, what you had to do, mm-hmm. meet people. But I learned pretty quickly, people kind of saying to me around the round way, oh, Philip's a nice guy, but I don't know what he does. And what I realised, I didn't have any narrative uh, about my expertise or, if you like, a positioning statement uh, of some sort. And so I learned, therefore, to always have in my back pocket some examples to say the work that I did. Now, you alluded in my introduction, I've worked for lots of, mm. been privileged to lots of organisations across the sector. So I'm in a good position at least to be able to go, well, if I meet a government person, I can tell a government story of the work that I've done or people I might know. If I met a not-for-profit, I can have that narrative. If I, if I work for a private organisation, I can talk about some of the private sector work that I've done, which builds relevance and also opens up doors for conversation as well. Because notwithstanding what I just said about having a game plan, it's not, it's not shouldn't be overt either. You are generally there to build a connection and start a conversation. 
and then maintain that relationship over time. And you don't know where that's going to go. Because some people, I guess in sales and marketing context, can trip themselves up is they meet someone and they think, well, they're not really relevant to my target market. I won't invest too much energy into it. That relationship will spend much time talking to them at, on the night or on, on dinner. But you don't know who they know. Yeah. You don't know who they're married to. You, you don't, don't know, know where they're going to end up. Yeah, where, where it's going to end up, especially <laughs> in a place like Canberra. Yeah. yeah. So this notion of, of intention, I, I, think it's, I think that's a really good one because it's, it's something that people can get a hold of. So it's, that, it's being thoughtful. Mm-hmm. It's being strategic. Uh, it, it's not just about what's in it for me because clearly, you know, if, it's, if you're talking to someone and all they want to talk about is themselves, it's like, okay, right, m- you know, move on and we'll come to that. How do you get away from people who are <laughs> <laughs> who, who just monopolise you and put, you know, and you, can't, and you can't find your way around? But how do you and how much time do you spend, you know, de- de- developing um, that plan, um, you, you, you referred to it as being systematic and strategic almost, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but how much thought should people be putting into it or how much uh, should they be leaving it to serendipity? I'm a bit of a planner. Okay. But once I'm in, once I've considered where I want to be, uh, then I kind of let serendipity take care of the rest, shall we say. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when I've done strategies for organisations and companies, sometimes there's a bit of... Uh, thought leadership positioning needs to go on. If you've got someone who is... Um, I've worked for organisations where the, the CEO needs to get out there, but time is precious, clearly. So you've got to really think about, well, who's going to be in that room? And I will ask event organisers, well, what calibre of people are coming? What level are they? What sectors are they coming from? And if they're a good organiser, they should be able to tell you that information because, you know, sometimes it's pay-to-play to play, uh, in some, some of these instances. But, you know, you're not going to waste your CEO's time and the off chance that they may or may not need meet someone. So research is key. You want to get in front of the right audience, in short, Mm -hmm. for that kind of work. Um, And then you can do control things like seating arrangements and who's going to sit next to who. And and if you know, then you can do some briefing, get some talking points. So anyone who works in government will know if they're not going to... The minister's going to come prepared. Mm. You know, with a briefing pack and talking points and the rest. Mm. And so it goes. In... um, So in answer to your question, I think for me, I will say think about next three months... Now's a really good time to do it. When we were talking is end of the year. Mm. I'll think about professionally what I need to do in the next three or four months uh, and what vehicles, forums exist to support so maybe some career objectives. These are things that might be just for myself, my own professional career, or could be for the organisation I represent. Mm. Um, and then when I'm there, then, as a, then you kind of maximise your odds to some extent and then I let those conversations flow. As I said, you, you you're not going to expect you know you're not going to you know fall in love and get married in the first you know first time you meet them. It's it's a starting point of a conversation, mm. and so it could be you just talk for 10, 15 minutes. It's different if you're over a dinner or a lunch, and just find some common ground and and but but make sure you learn those points. And so they when they do finish a the conversation, they know about your organisation. Well, they know about your professional skill sets or your interests, and so it goes. And then you do your things afterwards, like your email follow-up, your connection on LinkedIn, sort of a bit more sticky as a connection, mm-hmm. and you can build it up that relationship if you, if you think that's got some legs. You don't want to waste our time either. Yeah. Now, just in terms of that planning the, around narrative, because mm-hmm. I thought that was another interesting point that you raised, 
How much preparation, again, in terms of narrative? Should you be practising it? Should you be thinking about it? Should you be making it, okay, these are about the three or four things that are really the the sweet spot for the value that I can create for this particular audience. So how do I tell that story in a punchy sort of a way and how do I weave it into perhaps some more discursive conversation to be able to you know, landed in a way that gets people interested. It has to be a conversational. It's mm-hmm. not a, we're not talking about a pitch scenario here. Yeah. Um, but you've, you've got to be succinct. And I think um, it could be, well be the case, let's give an example, of an organisation that's quite well known. But they may, how to put this, um, we can't assume they know anything about you. Or they may know yeah. one facet of that organisation, mm. but not all the other totality of all the other bits of work yeah. you do. So I, you alluded to my, my role at, at Vincent, at Vinnie's, and I'm in the storytelling business, I've decided. Because, Absolutely. Because the work it does, amazing, amazing work in the community, hundreds of thousands of touch points throughout the year in the community, across a wide ge- geographical area. Uh, and so my job next year is all about telling those stories. Um, so that when about the work or the impact in the community or the, and the difference it makes. Mm. So that the other half of my job, if I refer to my job, is this fundraising bit. So when we do go to these people, it's not just once a year kind of conversation about sign up and give us some money or donate. We've had a whole year of, of them understanding and realising that all these facets of the work that we do, mm. both internally and externally. That's, the, that's my plan anyway. Sure. Um, so that's that's an easy one to send. Well, it's easy and a challenge at the same time because, again, people might know one organisation, as I said, for one facet, not knowing all these other facets that you might do, the value that it brings. So you've got to make that, tease that out as you, as you go along. And then what that does is go, I didn't know you guys did such and such. Oh, well, our organisation might, might align with something like that. Or, mm-hmm. So it goes. When I worked at the um, this gallery I mentioned down in the Mornington Peninsula, um, the, the, the challenge was... I was brought home as a, if you like, a business consultant. They they yeah. lost a major donor, and they had a couple of years. The clock was ticking to to raise the money to stay sustainable. That's an um, amazing, amazing gallery. But they never had to market before. They never had to do a whole bunch of other things. And the days of elite arts money, like the, the who's who of Melbourne, of them just giving you a check for something, were pretty much gone because there's other competing interests in philanthropy, for example, whether it's the environment or education or mm. Indigenous affairs and so on it goes. So I quickly realised that the, the, the gallery wasn't just a gallery, it had all these other facets and I had to come up with a narrative that spoke to donors in the place that turned them on. Mm. So, and I would never go know who would come through the door some days. Sometimes a helicopter would land and... <laughs> Some very rich man would get out. <laughs> it was a really interesting journey. But I had an education story. I had a disadvantage story. I had an environmental story. and So, so whoever they kind of were, I kind of, kind of got of a read. So that if they, what would you do with the money? Well, we would, we would do this with the money. You know? It would all support the gallery operations, but it wasn't I realised then that, that where a gallery gives them cash was long gone. Mm. Now, in terms of that, because it's the, the, one of the, the, the third point that you raised that caught my attention was this mm. sense of from an organisational point of view. So when you talk about those stories that belong, whether it's in Vinnie's or at the gallery, mm-hmm. uh, there are multiple people who are on your staff who can go out and tell those stories. So how important is it that you define and nominate those stories and make sure that people are telling a consistent story such that people get the story perhaps from multiple multiple people, but they're getting the same story in a... That's a, that, yeah. that's a very good question, David. And I, I would invite any business owner or organisation to ask their team to describe their company 
and see what comes out. I would imagine you get 20 different stories from 20 different people very often. And I'm not saying you, you want them to speak like a robot with just your, your tagline or whatever. It has to be coherent and it has to be natural and it has to describe kind of what they do, mm. what the organisation does. And that will be different because different people within an organisation, especially larger ones, have different, naturally different perspectives. Mm. So the people who might work in, an, say, an IT support area would have a whole different perspective than a you know, mm. front-line sales person or a marketing person or the executive and so it goes. Mm. So it's good to test those every so often and just remind people if you are talking about us, this is how we like to be represented as a yeah. baseline at least. Um, in the work that I'm doing, my intent is to, throughout the years, I said, have a series of narratives mm-hmm. um, that over time will paint this cohesive picture of what the work the organisation does. And will you then and try to capture, you know, the aspiration, you know, in uh, particular language or imagery that yes. can then be consistently yes. applied? Yes. The voice may be different, but the, the substance and the tone will largely That's be right. similar. That's right. And I intend to, to, to give the, throughout the organisation, here's, here's what we're doing this month and here's what we're talking about and yeah. if you get asked... So give the guidance, give the direction. Give, give them the tools, you yes. know, and it's not, you know, literally putting words in their mouth, but it gives them some confidence too as well um, because naturally you want them to feel a bit of pride in the work that you're doing and we'll work what they do more accurately. Um, but also they, they need that toolkit as mm-hmm. well. As well, so I think um, that's that would be my approach to this. And again, it's, it's ideally it's, it's a very natural form of communication. Mm. But you've got to be able to provide those to I think professional communicator those tools to people who don't have it themselves. Now, in, interestingly, you also mentioned about being able to measure the impact and the and the value of being able to attend mm-hmm. uh, conferences or to be able to send members of your team out. Mm-hmm. And then, how do you measure? So, how do you measure whether or not it's been uh, a success or not, because attending may not be business development. It may be that one of your high potential staff has made a connection that they can then learn more, or they have made a very effective presentation, which has um, allowed you know the the room or the audience to understand uh, your business or your government program uh, better. So, measurement. How how do you know whether or not that investment of what can be sometimes quite a bit of money, when you, if you, particularly if you're flying somebody overseas to a conference. And they get stuck there for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, indeed. You're quite right. I think um, it comes back to that notion of intention and it could be in some cases it is professional development. Yeah. Um, but I would argue that if you send someone for a conference and they learn X, Y, Z, you want that knowledge because the companies pay for organisations pay for it to be unpacked and shared mm. with the team mm. in some shape or form. Yep. So it's not just living in their head. Yep. Their insights are learning is shared amongst the organisation and build capacity and capability mm. in that way. It might be that um, uh, I'm not saying you, you count business cards and that's a metric of success either. Uh, but it is basically you've got to be clear. Why are we, why are we doing this again? Mm. You know, are we building our brand? You know, is that sort of awareness? And and that I think you just got to line it back to that. Yeah. So intention. Narrative, have a story, uh, think about, you know, from an organisational point of view and be quite systematic in your planning and your delivery but also your assessment then of how indeed that was, that was, was it valuable, was it not valuable, what could I learn, you know, what's the feedback that you can get. So and, is it- and it doesn't have to be super complicated either, David. So a quick example would be, again, in Namurudo, we do graphic design for the organisation and we're calling for volunteers. Right now, Christmas time, we're looking for volunteers, everyone is. Um, so my designer did a great little poster 
And so the week after, two weeks after we went out, we actually went back to the people who asked for it, go, well, did you get any volunteers? And they did, which okay. is good, right? right. Um, so it doesn't have to be super complicated, yeah. uh, but I think you need to, again, it's all about accountability and making sure your investment is wisely spent. Mm. Now, it could be, my rule of thumb is, say, for example, you, you're trying to build up some business, just straight up and down, build some business, like a business development. Type. Yep. And you're going to all these functions and you go to a particular groups um, and you just don't seem to be getting any traction. <laughs> And it happens, right? You're either fishing in the wrong pond or, B, you have no... You, you, Your personality's not great. Yeah, no. <laughs> not, as, not as winning as you think it is. Um, and then you revisit a three months. Okay, that's enough. We'll cut our losses on that one and we'll try something else. Yeah, so you've got to be... You know, yeah. it's, it's not just, you know, you hit your hill against a brick wall. You've got to... Yeah. Now, listen, um, events, mm-hmm. in-person events are not just your expertise. You have expertise across a whole range of things. And uh, as we sort of come in towards the end of you know, another extraordinary year, you know. Just keeps giving, doesn't it? <laughs> Just, you know, <laughs> you know, we almost think we're sort of, you know, back to when there's another, you know, another change and, uh, you know, I think people are sort of somewhat inured to, you know, these change, I suppose. But what's what's your sense of it? How are you feeling about, you know, the communication space um, at this time as we sort of, as I say, we've been through this... This period, we've seen this rapid transformation, this rapid movement of people online, uh, changing of behaviour about the way that people interact and engage. You know, how, how are you feeling about it and, and, and what are you seeing? Well, one quip would be go home 21, you're drunk, or let me out. <laughs> I'll walk, thanks very much. Um, I think we're all very tired and dying for a holiday, to state the obvious. Um, but by that I mean just the sheer volume of information that's come. And it's been a bit unrelenting and it hasn't been particularly cheerful no matter where you look. So I think um, as a professional communicator, you've got to be mindful of the pace and intensity and tone of what you're talking about, especially now. I think there is a you know a bit of a mood in the community. So um, if I'm looking at a, at a campaign, for example, designing a new campaign at the moment, I would think about things that kind of lift the mood or inspire, not weigh people down with grief and worry, Yeah, for example. Um, I think the, I think it's quite extraordinary. We're being very fortunate, if you like, in a perverse way, that we're living in the time we are with the technology we have. Mm. Um, imagine trying to do this five years ago or even ten years ago. It'd be extraordinarily difficult. Um, so I think, you know, the toolkits are there, um, but also we're also rubbing, rubbing up against the limitations of those toolkits. Yeah. And I'll say it once, I'll say it a thousand times, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to do business with people you like and you trust, so to speak, mm. and you can only do that really face-to-face, mm. seems to me. Even that kind of blink phenomenon of, of, you know, getting a sense of gel and personality, you can only get that, you know, in the real, call me old-fashioned. Mm. Um, so we've realised as professionals what those virtues are and what the limitations are around that technology. Mm. So I think this, this, you will end up having just a bit of a hybrid mix. But I come back to my point, I think people will be more discriminating about you know, where they go, where they turn up. And let's be frank, there's also a bit of a subtext about risk. Mm. I was joking before about being stuck somewhere, but that's a real possibility. Oh, you know, um, I'm attending a family wedding this weekend and it's been hard to get my wife out of the house because she doesn't want to miss the wedding. So she is, her behaviour has changed yes. in the last three weeks. Yes. That it's like, I'm not going to go places where I could possibly um, catch the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Do you the, know, what? You know the, the, the thing. Uh, so, again, I'm seeing it very, you know, up close and personal. And I like that idea of what you just said, mentioned a few moments ago about being mindful of your context, being mindful of 
because um, I had to give myself a talking to the other other day about you know just just because I'm sort of jazzed and going hard and you know let's keep going and going and going I I had this moment of well maybe everyone's not quite where I <laughs> where, where I am yes, yes. and I need to just you know pull back a little bit and just be a little bit more sympathetic and a little bit more understanding that you know. And that was only through observation. I was sort mm. of I picked it up from a couple of people. It was like you know they weren't quite at the point of saying it to me outright as you know, pull your head in, but I you know yes. I, I was yes. paying enough attention to realise yeah okay maybe it's and I think the thing that applies at the macro level, the societal level. Well, that's it, it, exactly uh, you know, and it's uh, it's a challenge. And again, it goes to this you know I'm 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 always mad for context, and I think mad you know context is just so vitally important in when we communicate, is to mm. understand what's happening, you know, and really m- taking that point to understand and have a good look around before you start to think, well, where do I live in this, you know? Maybe today's not the day for me to be, you know, where I think I need to be and maybe I can be, I should be quiet for the next little period of time because, you know, I don't really have anything valuable to say or important to say, so don't say it. What, what's that expression, you want the signal, not the noise or something like yeah, that? Yeah. Um, something along those lines. <laughs> um, I think you're right and... If we got a bit more tactical, then you've got to be even more mindful of what's going on in the world of the very audiences you're trying to reach. So oh, absolutely. Within an organisation, well, I think that's the thing. Within an organisation, clearly there are many what I'll call different professional cultures. So I'll generalise a little bit, but you know, you might say the guys working in IT are going to be a bit different from the guys working in policy land, and so it goes. You know, and so they the way they like to communicate, the tempo, the way they communicate, how much information they're getting in the first place, mm. and how you're going to get their attention, let alone persuade or let alone engage is, is a challenge. It is, but that is almost leading us into another podcast, I would say, <laughs> because that, you know, again, you know, we could talk about that forever because, again, that goes to the point of making sure that people do think about those audiences in a, you know, very macro, uh, sorry, micro level mm-hmm. and really to understand, you know, the preferences of those particular groups. And I was involved in a consulting project the other day and we just kept finding more and more and more different audiences who required it differently because mm-hmm. the data was telling us, you know, that's not going to work for them. You're going to have to do something differently to that group and something to different. And it was just... It, it was complex, but at the same time, you could see that if we didn't do that work, it was never going to work, you know. One size was never going to fit all. And I think increasingly, um, that's where technology is taking us, you know, this notion of personalisation and difference and, you know, um, we're also very different. We all want things in a different way. We all consume them in a different way. We all are moved in a different way. So That's very true. And I think, David, also that expectations have changed the last couple of years as well. Indeed. And I think it's researched, you know, back to government comms in terms of they expect a lot more personalised experience. Yes. And more information on their terms. Yeah. Easier said than done, clearly. But um, I think that's that's something we're all going to be really mindful of now, let alone the assumption that, you know, they're able-bodied, they can read and speak <laughs> English. You know, yeah. like there's a lot of bias that can creep in messaging or, or comms or, or marketing that... Are you, are you alienating 20, 30% of your population because you're not even communicating in a way that's accessible to them? Mm. But that's the exciting bit. Yes. So that, that's the great bit. Uh, and that's the there's so much to look forward to, I think, in, I think so. in, in, in lots of it as well. Now, listen, just before you go, um, that new role that you've got, you, yes. it's that's a new sector for you, that that, that sort of social to sector? Work, to work within it. I've done work for yeah. bodies and associations, that's right. like strategies and so on. Yeah. Um, what's... Particularly fascinating to me is that um, clearly they, they, they come out of a religious ethos, um, but 
you've got, again, a free kind of distinct audience. You've got the people who, who work in the community, the, the, they're called members, who, 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 or conferences they're called, and that comes out of the French confrères, these people who worked at the Sabon who wanted to do good work, like we are talking about La Miserable time, and basically the idea was, it comes back to storytelling, they realised that, well, at the time, there was no social networks, no social support. And, uh, and so Frederick, who's founded this, um, this one of the founders of the society, they told me everything's a story because he, he would go to the garret and go to these poor houses and talk to these poor women whose husbands abandoned them, more or less. How'd you get in that situation? And, and he said, if you spend an hour and a half with someone talking about their situation, you can find a way to help them. And he, he was able to do practical things like sue the husband or, you know, take them to court or represent. So the ethos from the very, very beginning was, um, and they called the people they serve companions. Yep. which is really nicely thought. So it's about dignity yep. uh, and respect and compassion. Uh, it's not about clients. We're not trying to recruit anybody. not trying to convert them. None of this, None of these things. So that's kind of that's a lovely ethos to, to think about when I'm thinking about my work. Um, and, of course, needless to say, they're all absolutely terrific and come from that kind of heartfelt space, but also drop-dead smart and clever to boot. Mm. And so I'm drowning, if you like, in amazing stories, whether it's the guys in the warehouse who sort all the stuff in military position and the scale of what they do is incredible to the people who obviously work on the streets, the night patrol, and, and, and so it goes, you know. So I won't have a problem telling stories, granted. Oh. So it's a really thrilling time to be. So they're, they're, I've, I've been brought on a really exciting time where I can create a whole bunch of new campaigns and support the mission. And But at the end of the day, you've got to stay true to, if you've had audiences, that ethos as well. You know? Absolutely. So you've got to respect that culture and the dedication. The brand. We're doing a thing in a few weeks, a few days' time, and it's uh, giving out certificates. And people have been volunteering for 35 years, 20 years of their life. It's incredible. Mm. So it's very, I feel very honoured to be part of it. Good. Well, I look forward to having you back in maybe 12 months mm-hmm. to share some lessons, you know, some of the things that you learned, Absolutely. some of the things you observed, some of the things you got right. Some of the things you got wrong. Bound to be some of those. Bound to be some of those. Often. Well, very good, my friend. Have a wonderful break as we, uh, as I say, move towards the end of the year. I'm not sure exactly when this is going to precisely go to air, but it will be soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, enjoy the break. Come back rested, ready, charging on all cylinders next year. And um, to you, the audience, I hope you too are recovering. Um, and really ready for a break. Uh, Maybe you're not recovering yet, uh, but you will be soon. So uh, the best of uh, wishes to all of you as well. Uh, Very grateful for your time and attention once again. We'll be back at the same time in a couple of weeks, but for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.